You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah. A sermon from our series entitled Walk by Faith. For more information, visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Good morning. Good morning. Man, yeah. I was telling them earlier, normally when I ask, like, or say good morning, like no one says anything back, so this is very nice um, to have people respond to me. Uh, my name is Talavo. I am the high school pastor here at CBC, um, and we really did have an awesome time at camp. So um, it's really fun to be a part of a church that takes the gospel seriously and desires to man, like impart that on the high school students. And so um, thank you guys for allowing us to go, and a lot of you were really generous in allowing us to um, send a lot of kids to camp, so that was really awesome. Um, so I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, we moved from Madagascar when I was five um, and just stayed there all through college, so I love South Carolina a ton. And one of uh, my favorite things about living in Columbia is the South Carolina State Fair. Um, every single October for two weeks, in October, the fair comes to town, and like clockwork, you just kind of go. And you try and go as many times as you can. It's my favorite annual tradition. Um, the fair is really awesome for people watching. Okay, so when I was in uh, middle school, high school, we used, to, um, we used to count mullets, and we used to count rat tails. Um, <laughs> and you know, if that's you, there's... It's a very classy thing, but we used to do that um, a ton. The fair is also great for eating without any shame, right? And so um, basically every single year they decided to step up their like deep frying game like a notch, okay? Um, When they discovered that you could deep fry more than just dough, it was like game on. So the first year they did this, uh, they fried Snickers and they fried Oreos. And then the next year, they said, all right, we'll just start frying Pepsi. So they did that, and that was really awesome. Uh, And then came fried mac and cheese. Uh, And then last year, the latest kind of addition to this were a fried bologna burger and a fried catfish sundae. Okay, yeah. Um, Love the fair, okay? Um, And then every few years, my love of the state fair would kind of collide with my love of the Gamecocks, and um, hey, calm down. All right, we're all friends in here. Um, Anyways, my love of those two things would collide, and you could grab a giant turkey leg on your way to the game, and then come back after the game and get more fried Oreos, and so um, the fair is awesome, and there are always two things that you can count on at the South Carolina State Fair. Okay, the first thing is this is that Lee Greenwood would come and sing God Bless America. Every single year, God Bless USA, sorry. Every single year, he would come and sing that song. And I think that in 50 years, we'll hologram him and he will come and sing that song again. Okay, so the first thing you can count on is Lee Greenwood. Um, The second thing you can always count on at the fair is that ever faithful announcement for some poor lost kid to come meet his parents at the rocket ship. Okay, uh, in the middle of the state fairgrounds, there's this massive rocket ship. Um, and I, you know, I don't really care to know much about the history. I'm sure there's a ton of great history behind this thing, but I think that it was put there for the sole purpose um, of giving a marker to kids who had gotten lost in the fair to come meet your mom and dad. Okay, so every time you walk in the state fairgrounds, 
your mom or your dad, the first thing they would say is like, look, there's the rocket, okay? No matter what, if we get separated, I'll meet you at the rocket. Um, it was also the place, it's how you like give directions in the fair. So if you're calling your friend, all right, I'm, I'm to the left of the rocket. If you look at the stadium, to the left, and just come head that way. Um, no matter what, you could always like count on the rocket. You can reorient yourself around this massive rocket ship in the state fairgrounds. Um, so today we're going to take a little break from our series on faith, and we're going to look at the gospel. And hopefully we're going to reorient ourselves around the gospel and remind ourselves about what's true about the gospel. And then we'll move and take the Lord's Supper together after this. Um, but I want to do that by taking a look at a very familiar passage of Scripture. This is the parable of the prodigal son. Um, our high school students and I have been in this parable for the whole last week. Okay, So this will be really familiar to them and maybe give you a glimpse um, into kind of what we went through. Um, but we're going to use this parable to quickly remind and encourage us about what the gospel is, what the gospel says about us, and what it reveals about God. Okay, and we're going to do that by looking at the Father. So if you could turn with me to Luke 15. Um, Luke chapter 15, I'm going to read. It's a big chunk, but it's important that you kind of get this. I'll start in verse 1 and 2 to let you know who he's talking to, and then we'll jump into verse 11. Now... The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Uh, and immediately you kind of see this group of people who've already lost sight of the rocket. Okay, they're accusing Jesus of hanging out with sinners. Why would he do that? Uh, everything he's going to say next is actually going to affirm that. Um, and so here we go, verse 11. And he said... There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And we had spent everything. A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he had come to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Verse 25, now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry 
and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you, gave me a young, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Um, so I'm trusting, just for the sake of time, that you're somewhat familiar with the parable of the prodigal son. And if you're not, hopefully the, what we look at today will frame it in a way um, that will allow you to correctly examine it for yourself. Remember, we're going to use this parable to make sure we haven't strayed too far from the gospel. Um, we need to make sure that we still have the rocket in sight, right, so that we don't get lost uh, in the state fairgrounds. But before we look at the father, we have to look at the sons. Uh, and I'll cut to the chase, okay? We need to realize that there are two lost sons in this parable, not one. Okay, there are two lost sons in this parable. We love to give the younger brother a really hard time. But the truth is that neither of these sons has a right relationship with the father. Um, when the younger brother looks at his dad and says, give me the share of property that is coming to me, he's basically saying, I'm kind of over this father-son thing. Let's just be done with this so I can get on my way. Okay? Um, and then take a look at what the older brother says later. Verse 29 and 30. I'll read it again. Uh, it says, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. So in one word, look. Um, he reveals this lack of real intimacy and a lack of real relationship with his father. Okay, he's essentially just said, you know what? I was never really into that father-son thing anyway, so let me get my stuff so I can be on my way. Okay? He's also after his share of the inheritance too. He's just kind of going about it in a different way. Okay? So both of these brothers are lost. Okay? One is lost in his badness and in his reckless living, and the other is lost in his goodness and in his self-righteous striving. Neither is in a right relationship with the Father, okay? So this should um, immediately challenge our idea of what it means to be lost, right? Uh, because the Bible doesn't distinguish between bad people and good people. It doesn't make a distinction between people who grew up going to church and didn't, or people who went to a Christian high school and didn't, right? Romans 3.23 says that there is no distinction, and for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And here's what our sin communicates to God. We're essentially saying, let's just be done with this whole father-son thing, this father-daughter thing, so I can be on my way. Okay, that, is, that should sound familiar. And left to ourselves, and left to our own efforts, you and I are totally helpless to do anything about the separation that our sin has created between us and God. Um, but the good news of the parable, okay, and the really good news of the gospel is that there is a father. Um, and this father doesn't operate or behave uh, in the way that you and I or the rest of the world would expect that he would. 
And so I just want to quickly, we're going to walk through four things um, that this parable reveals to us about God and about the gospel. Okay, the first thing it says, God moves towards us. God moves towards us. We have a father who makes the first move. Um, So verse 20 tells you everything that you need to know. Let me read that again. Verse 20 says, And he arose, this the son, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Every single word just kind of builds on top of the other. Um, And it keeps getting better and better and way more unexpected. Okay, so the first thing it says is that while the son was a long way off, the father saw him. Okay, this must mean that the father was looking for him. This has to mean that the father was eagerly expecting his son. Uh, And as soon as he sees his son, Jesus says that he felt compassion. He didn't feel judgment. He didn't feel shame or bitterness. And then Jesus says that the father ran. Okay, grown men don't run to anything in this time, right? It, It looks foolish and silly, but this guy sees his son and he runs towards him. And after he runs to his son, the father embraces him and the father kisses him. He doesn't lecture him. He doesn't scold him. He doesn't tell him, I told you so. Okay? He doesn't even let his son finish his apology speech. Um, he fully receives and accepts his son. Romans 5.8 says that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, so just like the father in the parable, God moved towards us while we were still a long way off. Um, that's the first thing. The second one is this, God desires to restore us. Okay, God moves towards us, and God desires to restore us. The younger brother was as good as dead when he left home. Um, he had no father, he had no inheritance, he had no home, his entire community would have disowned him. Okay, he had lost everything. But his father says, bring him the best robe. Okay, the best robe in the house would have certainly belonged to the father. Um, and then he says, put a ring on his hand. This ring most likely would have been like a family heirloom or had a family seal on. This ring means something, right? It means that he had nothing, but his father has restored him everything. Right? It means that everything that the father, that belonged to the father was credited to the son. Um, And a lot of us probably have the same idea as the younger brother when we think about what it means to be in a relationship with the father, right? So remember his speech, verse 19, he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Some of us might think that being in a relationship with God means that we're like hired servants, right? It means that we're supposed to just try and work off a debt that we can never repay. But the truth is, We've lost sight of the rocket ship with that, right? God has a much better idea. He wants to restore us, and he wants to restore a right relationship with us. He wants you and I to be his son and his daughter. Okay, Ephesians 2, 12 says that because of your sin, you are separated from Christ, having no hope and without God in the world. But the very next verse says, but, which hopefully will start to be a really dear word to you in Scripture, okay? Verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers 
and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. God desires to restore us. Um, the third thing is this. God desires to give us life. God desires to give us life. The father in the parable very much understood that what has happened to his son is a lot bigger than him just coming back home after a wild street. Right? He didn't just go off to college and get into a little bit of trouble and come back home. Okay? He says in verse 24, For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Our biggest problem is not our bad behavior. Okay, it's another place where some of us have kind of missed the rocket in the gospel. Our biggest problem is not our bad behavior. It's not that we need to be more positive. It's not that we need to create better goals or better habits. Our biggest problem is not that some of us are millennials, right? Our biggest problem is not participation trophies. It's not that we've lost touch with our values, okay? Our biggest problem is our sin. You and I um, have a sin problem. Our biggest problem is that apart from Christ, you and I are spiritually dead in our sin, and we're totally helpless to make ourselves alive. We can't work ourselves out of this state. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says that you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And then verse 4, but God, that sweet word again, right? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. The gospel is not a matter of bad people becoming better people. Um, and it's not about working hard to clean yourselves up. The gospel is about you being dead in your sin and being made alive in Christ. It's about God restoring us in the right relationship with him. The father moves towards both of his sons, right? And, and desires both come um, and restore right relationship with him. And here's the last thing I want to remind you of. Um, the proper response to the gospel is worship. Okay, the proper response to the gospel is worship. The younger brother didn't want to celebrate. He went back home. He came back home to try and work and to try and pay off an impossible debt. Verse 19 says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but treat me as one of your hired servants. But the father says, no, bring the robe and get a ring and go start the grill. Right? The proper response to the gospel is not for us to try and be better or work harder. Okay? And the older brother doesn't want to celebrate either. He's in the field and he's working and he would rather everyone else point to his own goodness Instead of, instead of marveling at the goodness of the Father. Okay? But the Father reminds him and us, verse 32, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The most appropriate and fitting response uh, and fitting thing they could do was to celebrate. Right? The proper response to the gospel is to worship and to celebrate the fact that those of us who are in Christ uh, were once dead and have now been made alive. We were once lost and we've been found. Um, and so as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, I just kind of remind um, you and really myself, right, of the truth of the gospel. And Ethan, you guys can come up. Here's what the gospel says, is that you and I 
were lost and totally dead in our sin. Um, but God moved towards us. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the very next verse, verse 24, says that we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And then verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And if we would trust and put our faith in Christ's finished work on the cross for our behalf, right, then God would restore us and make us alive. And the most appropriate response to the gospel and to the goodness of the Father is to celebrate and to worship. Uh, let me pray for us. Lord, I'm thankful for, um, man, the gospel. Lord, and your word says that we are poor and needy, but you take thought for us. I'm thankful, God, that, uh, man, you are who you say you are, and you take thought for us, and you are a much better father than the one in this parable. God, and so I just pray that you would remind us, God, that you made the first move. Lord, and that you desire to receive us and to restore us and to give us life. And I pray, Lord, that thou would cause worship in your people. Would you stir our affections um, towards Christ this morning? We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.